welcome to another episode of the Global Storytime Podcast, where every two weeks I bring you a folktale from a different country or culture. And every two weeks, I also release an episode that helps us learn more about the country or culture from where that story was written. I'm your host, Diane Strand. This week, we're going to Hungary. Okay, let's start and find Hungary on a map. Hungary is a country in Central Europe. It is home to the largest lake in the region, Balaton Lake, and the Danube River, the second longest river in Europe, which runs along its northern border. Hungary shares borders with seven countries. Moving clockwise from the north, they are Slovakia, the Ukraine, Romania, Serbia, Croatia, Slovenia, and Austria. The capital of Hungary is Budapest, and you'll find it in the northern center of the country. The size of Hungary is just under 36,000 miles squared, so it's a little bigger than the state of Maine. The population of Hungary is 9.7 million, which is roughly the population of the state of New Jersey. Alrighty, let's take a look at the history of Hungary, starting at humans' beginnings in the region. Archaeologists have found evidence of habitation dated back to 3,300 years ago. Between 6,000 and 3,000 BCE, two distinct cultures rose and fell, the Starcevo-Koreskris culture and the Vuncindol culture, left behind decorated pottery, axes, and clay figures of women and deer that they used for fertility and religious practices. The Iron Age started in the region in 800 BCE, which transformed how people interacted with the land through farming and how they related to each other through the creation and use of tools and weapons. Various groups migrated through the area and took turns controlling it. One of these groups was the Celts, who later migrated and expanded their territory into present-day Spain, the UK, Scotland, and Ireland. From 35 to 9 BCE, the Roman Empire came conquering through, building up town centers and paving roads. But eventually, that part of the Roman Empire started to collapse when the Germanic Goths moved in. The real, original Goths, who were known for jewelry making and decorative arts. Not solid black outfits, or thick eyeliner, or sad music. Once the Romans no longer ruled Central Europe, a period called the Great Migration started, when many, many groups moved in, fighting for control. There were Germanic tribes, Slavic tribes, and a tribe called the Huns, who came from Central Asia, and who had the earliest and longest rule, ending in the year 469. The most famous Hun, of course, is Attila the Hun who had a relatively short reign and was known for his constant attempts to expand the Huns' territory through aggressive warfare. He was successful about half of the time. Around the year 900, there was a ruler named Arpad, who brought together different tribes, unifying them under one government, using the Blood Oath Covenant, where the leaders of each tribe would meet around a cup of wine, cut their arms, and drip some of everybody's blood into the wine. And then each person takes a swig of that bloody wine. Now that is goth, and very unsanitary. 
After Arpad, once the state of Hungary was created, Hungary had its first king in the year 1000. King St. Stephen, who was actually born with the name Vyak, had converted to Catholicism and changed his name and declared that all of Hungary should be a Christian state. He restricted pagan practices and tried to westernize the region, which at the time I think just meant to Christianize it, since most of Western Europe was Christian at the time. In the 1200s, the Mongols from Central Asia raided the Hungarian territory, destroying everything in its path to Western Europe. After the Mongols, there were a couple of quote-unquote great rulers like Charles the Great and Louis the Great. And there was a woman ruler given the rather plain name of Mary the Hungarian. And then there was Hungary's last strong king, King Matthias, who expanded the Hungarian territory into present-day Italy, Poland, and Croatia. King Matthias had no children, and so when he died, there was no real great candidate to replace him, and the empire kind of fell apart. Meanwhile, the Ottoman Empire, which I talked about two episodes ago when I did a story from Turkey, the Ottomans at that time were growing stronger and expanding their territory, eventually expanding it into the Hungarian territory in the 1500s. As the Ottomans slowly chipped away at the Hungarian state, overthrowing it one town at a time, the rest of the Hungarian Empire became divided and two kings were elected to rule at the same time. One who was German-Austrian and the other who was ethnically Hungarian, meaning that they had familiar ties to those Huns that had come over and settled the area 700 years before. In 1686, the Ottomans tried to conquer Buda, the Hungarian capital, but all of the European countries' armies banded together, like the Avengers, to fight them off and the Ottomans were soon defeated. The 1800s saw the Hungarian identity take more shape as the Hungarian language became the language of government and education instead of Latin, and the government modernized decentralizing power and instituting civil rights. Also, two cities, Buda and Pest, united to form the capital of the country, Budapest. But there were still two separate governments that were trying to rule the same area, which was eventually known as Austria-Hungary. And within Austria-Hungary, there were many other groups like the Serbs, the Croatians, the Bosnians, the Romanians, who all wanted to break away from Austria-Hungary and form their own countries. This anger and resentment led to a young Bosnian assassinating Austrian Archduke Ferdinand in 1914, which started World War I. After World War I, Austria-Hungary was devastated and broke apart. In 1918, Hungary declared itself the Hungarian Democratic Republic, and in 1920, the European Allies who won World War I against Austria-Hungary, stepped in and decided for Hungary where their borders could be. This significantly shrank down the territory of Hungary, but established it as its own sovereign country. Okay, let's move on and talk languages. The national language of Hungary is Hungarian. Go figure. 
The Hungarian language is said to be one of the most difficult languages to learn, and it is unlike any other language in Central Europe because it originated, actually, in Central Asia, where the Huns, remember them? That's where they were from. The Hungarian alphabet also has 44 letters in it. In addition to Hungarian, there are 14 recognized minority languages that are spoken as first languages by about 1% of Hungarians. Those languages are Armenian, Boyash, Bulgarian, Croatian, German, Greek, Polish, Romanian, Rusin, Serbia, Slavic, and Ukrainian. About 16% of folks speak English as a second or third or maybe even fourth language. And around 3% might also speak French or Italian. Hungary also has its own version of sign language, which is similar to French sign language. It wasn't until I started this podcast and all of its required research that I started to realize that there are so many different types of sign language out there in the world. And I'm wondering how different they all are. Like, if you know one, can you kind of make out what is being said in another dialect? Is there a universal sign language? Send me an email if you know, and I'll share it with the rest of the class. Now, let's talk religion. Starting with St. Stephen, who I mentioned in the history recap, Hungary has been a very Christian-slash-Catholic-centered country. Though now, there are no official religions, and, and everyone is free to practice and believe whatever they like. According to a 2019 survey, 62% of Hungarians are Catholic. 20% don't practice any kind of religion, 13% are Protestant, or another denomination of Christianity, 2% are either Buddhist, Muslim, or pagan, and 1% are Jewish. Hungary used to have a much larger Jewish presence, making up around 5% of the population, but the Holocaust greatly diminished it, as thousands were either killed or escaped. Budapest is still home, however, to the largest Jewish temple in Europe, called the Dohani Street Synagogue. And of course, Islam in Hungary goes way back to when the Ottoman Empire ruled part of the land in the 1500s. Interestingly enough, paganism, or neo-paganism, has been growing in the last few decades, which is something I've noticed in a few of the countries that I've profiled. Hungarian neo-paganists follow ancient mythology and shamanism that was specific to the people of Central Asia, like the Huns. Now onto something that is like a religion to some, food. The Hungarian national food is goulash. Goulash in Hungarian means herdsman meat. But don't worry, it's not the meat of a herdsman, but rather the kind of meat that a herdsman would prepare. And if you've had traditional goulash before, you know that it's more than just cooked meat. Goulash is a stew made with beef, lamb, veal, or pork, bell peppers, onions, celery, cayenne pepper, thyme, and of course lots of paprika, as the dish is known for. Though paprika is a relatively new addition to the dish. Hungarians have been eating goulash since the 9th century. But the peppers that are used to make paprika come from Mexico and didn't make their way to Hungary until the 16th century. It's the same with potatoes, which some people like to put in their goulash. Other varieties of the dish might include vermicelli noodles, sauerkraut, sour cream, kidney beans, and caraway seeds. 
I've never had traditional Hungarian goulash. Only the American version that is made with ground beef and tomato sauce and is more of a pasta dish than a soup. I confess that I've honestly never really liked the American version, but I would be really interested in trying traditional goulash and see how I like that. The second to last bit is the national sport of Hungary, which is split between soccer and water polo. Since water polo is the more surprising and interesting sport to me, no if in soccer, let's take a quick look at it. Water polo was invented in Scotland in the 1800s and quickly became popular in other parts of Europe. Hungarians really took to the sport and even invented a few moves, like the dry pass, where your player throws the ball to another player who catches it and the ball never touches the water. I'm not quite sure how that is an invention, but I guess it was relevatory to not just toss the ball near a person and have it land in the water. I should mention, if you don't know what water polo is, it's a game played in a deep pool where the players have to get a ball into the opposing team's goal, which looks like a floating soccer net. They do this all while treading water, so they're not touching the bottom of the pool at all which means it is a very grueling game. And the reason why each of its four periods is only eight minutes long. But the Hungarians have figured out how to become absolute bosses at the game, having won a total of 84 medals in international tournaments, including 15 Olympic medals, 11 World Championship medals, and 24 European Championship medals, among many, many others. And lastly, a relaxing fact about Hungary. Hungary has the largest amount of thermal hot springs in the world. Back in the day, like hundreds of years ago, when European doctors prescribed getting fresh air and going to the quote-unquote healing waters, people flocked to Hungary to rest and restore their bodies. Now, there are over 1,300 thermal spas throughout the country that date back to the Ottoman and Roman Empire, and they have the impressive architecture to match. Do yourself a favor and Google image search Hungarian spa. They look so incredible. Some of them look like they're in palaces, others are in caves, some of them have water slides, and others are out in the beautifully forested countryside. These are definitely going on my travel bucket list. And that is it for this episode of Let's Learn About Hungary. If you haven't listened to episode 20A, Marcy the Honest Thief, go give it a listen. It's a story about an honest and quick-thinking young man and a jealous king who puts him to the test again and again and again. Before I go, now that we've reached the 20th episode or pair of episodes, I want to share with you, my dear listeners, who you are in good company with as fellow lovers of this show. If you've listened to the story episode, then you've already heard all of this word for word. So you can sing along if you like. But surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, some folks just listen to the information episode and not the story episode. So I want to share this with everybody. Global Storytime Podcast has been listened to in 32 states and 19 countries around the world. I want to list them so that when you hear your state or country, maybe you can do a little dance. And if you don't hear a certain state or country, but you know somebody who lives there, send them a link to the show. I would love to be heard in every U.S. state, every Canadian province. Right now I'm up to five. 
and in as many countries as possible. Okay, are you ready for the big list? Here we go. U.S. states where Global Storytime Podcast has been listened to are Oregon, of course, Washington, California, Texas, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, Virginia, Ohio, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, Arizona, Maryland, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Tennessee, Idaho, New Jersey, New Hampshire, Kansas, Alabama, Louisiana, New York, Nebraska, Hawaii, Florida, South Carolina, Indiana, and Connecticut. And the countries where Global Storytime Podcast has been listened to are the United States, of course, Ghana, Australia, France, Germany, Russia, Brazil, Canada, New Zealand, Vietnam, the United Kingdom, India, the Netherlands, Hungary, Finland, the United Arab Emirates, Suriname, Nepal, and South Africa. To all of my listeners, wherever you are, thank you so much for tuning in and telling other people about this podcast. If you want even more information about Hungary or any of the other countries that I highlight, follow the pod on Facebook or Instagram at Global Storytime Podcast. And I would love your feedback. Tell me what you like, what should be improved, or whatever story or country or culture ideas that you may have. Please send me all of your thoughts at globalstorytimepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can pop those ideas, suggestions, or kudos into the review feed on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Diane Strand. Next time, we're going to Canada. Until then, bye! Bye!